2: 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world.
3: I really never thought of it that way.
2: The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. He was a successful accountant. She was a teacher. Together they had two sons and a loving 28-year marriage.
3: They were one of the kindest, most generous, loving, funny, outgoing family and they loved their children. They loved each other. Walk the
2: in Sugarland, Texas, an upscale suburb of Houston, the Whitakers' big brick house was a neighborhood gathering spot.
3: The Whitakers' house was the home we went to in high school. We hung out at the Whitakers every single weekend. And that was because Trisha and Kent were so
2: loving. The oldest son, Bart, was smart, good-looking, and athletic. His younger brother, Kevin, was outgoing and popular and looked up to his big brother.
3: He thought his brother was the greatest thing. He wanted to be just like Bart.
2: On December 10, 2003, the Whitakers went out for dinner to celebrate Bart's upcoming college graduation. They'd given him his graduation present, a Rolex watch, earlier that day. Around 8:30 that evening, the family arrived back home. Sherilyn, 911, station emergency. I have been shot. We were walking in the house. My brother and my mom and my dad. We have one subject right now is shot in the arm. Apparently, the whole family's been shot. Police Sergeant Marshall Slott was among the first to arrive on the scene.
4: Kevin and Trisha were shot almost immediately upon walking through the front door. They were both shot in the center of their chest. Kent ran towards the front door. He was shot at that time. Bart, he ran into the living room. That's where he was shot. There were only four shots fired, and there were four hits.
2: Well, Trisha and her youngest son, Kevin, died that night. Bart and his father, Kent, survived the shooting. Hours after the attack, Kent made a promise to himself that he would forgive the person who killed his family. So if you have somebody to forgive in your life, it should be easier after today's show, because you'll find out that what he was able to do was seemingly impossible. The close-knit, upscale community was shaken by the news of this violent attack. What happened that night to the Whitaker family? Was there a killer on the loose? Can you imagine if that happened in your neighborhood? Nobody would be able to sleep. You'd be, you know, wondering what is going on. Well, our Lisa Ling went down to Sugarland, Texas, to report.
0: Register today at thisisils.org.
1: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. I met with Sergeant Marshall Slott, the lead investigator on the Whitaker case.
4: The community's perception was that there was this wild crazed killer out there. And we knew fairly soon after the investigation started that that wasn't the case. In any homicide, you start looking at the people closest to the people who are killed. Well, the only two surviving victims of this situation were Kent and Bart. We did the walkthrough interviews with Kent and Bart. We did them separately so that neither one of them could taint the other's walkthrough. When I spoke with Kent, Kent was very exact. Kent was very uh, expressive and talking about the shots.
5: Bang! Bang! And I think I
4: knew that it was gunshots. Bart was very guarded in his words. I think I don't know why I said that, because I honestly don't remember. He wouldn't commit to anything.
1: Then, a bombshell. Remember, the night of the murders, the family had been out celebrating Bart's upcoming college graduation.
4: A day or two after the, the shootings, We received information from Sam Houston State University that Bart was not a student there, and so bells and whistles started going off at that time. Why would this kid who's a victim, an innocent victim of a shooting, lie to me about where he was going to school or what he was doing? Because the information we had from him was that he was graduating. The information we got confirmed was from the school was that he was on academic probation and still in his freshman year. And that wasn't
2: the only bombshell, Lisa. What else? That's right. Well, two years before the murder, the cops came
1: knocking on Kent and Trisha's door to say that an informant had told them that their eldest son, Bart, had been plotting to kill his family. So Kent and two Trisha Two years before. Two years before. Mm-hmm. So Kent and Trisha allegedly confronted Bart, and he said that it was part of a, a drunken joke, and they believed him
2: and did nothing, obviously.
1: They did, they did nothing. I mean, Trisha apparently told a friend that she was concerned about it, but she just, she couldn't
2: believe that it could be true. So did police immediately suspect that it was Bart? They immediately
1: suspected that it could be Bart, and he was, he was a suspect from the get-go but they were learning things that they just couldn't possibly reveal to the family because it was in the course of this investigation.
2: So as the investigation continued, police began to focus on Bart Whitaker's friends.
6: This murderer is still out there. The police need our help. So for your own families, for everybody's sake, let's catch him.
1: The public didn't realize it, but one of Bart's friends had already given them the break in the case they'd been looking for. After being brought in for questioning, 21 year old Stephen Champagne confessed Bart had convinced him and another friend, Christopher Brashear, to kill his family. Detectives from Sugarland Police say they
4: have learned more about the crime that happened in this subdivision Wednesday night.
1: As the police began to close in on Bart, he disappeared without a trace.
2: So for more than a year, police had no leads. They suspected that it was Bart, but they had no leads as to where Bart had gone. So a tipster led authorities to Mexico, where they found Bart. He was living under an alias, had been working at a furniture store and dating his boss's daughter. Bart was arrested and convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. Remember that hours after his wife and youngest son uh, were shot dead, this is Bart's father, Kent Whitaker vowed that he would forgive the killer. But at the time, he didn't realize that the killer was his son.
1: I met Kent Whitaker at his home in Sugarland, Texas. He still lives in the same house where his wife and son were murdered. So what happened that night?
5: Kevin opened the door and got about this far. And there was a gunman standing and... He shot him, and Kevin fell into the entryway. Tricia then was at the uh, threshold. I heard her say, oh no, and there was another loud noise. And she fell down and somehow ended up with her head on the threshold of the house. Now, I was still out on the porch, and I just didn't understand what those noises were. At that point, I was hit hard in the shoulder, and that's when I knew what had happened. They were gunshots. By the way, it's a, it's a strange feeling when you look down there and you see your, your white shirt turning red. Uh, and you know, I may be dying. I don't know. I may be dead in another minute or two. I just didn't know how bad it was.
2: That was Lisa Ling with uh, Kit Winokur, who joins us today. Thank you for being here. How hard was it to go back to that house and live in the same house where your wife and son were murdered?
5: When we drove up to the house the first time after leaving the hospital, uh, I wondered, am I going to be able to go back in? Because you know, I, I knew I'd be passing where my wife and son had died. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. Yeah. And I wasn't sure I'd be able to pass it. But uh, I'd reached a zone when I got up to the front door where uh, I was just numb. Mm-hmm. And it was like I was a robot, and I passed by the spots. and. Uh, People asked me how I could possibly live in that house. Mm -hmm. And while there was something very horrible that happened there, it was still my home and had been my home for 25 years. And there were a lot of great memories there. And
2: um, it was still my house. All Right. And how soon were you able to go home? How long were you hospitalized? We were in the hospital about four days. Mm -hmm. How did you first feel when you were told that Bart had not been enrolled at the school and was on academic probation? after your family had been out celebrating what you thought was was his graduation. How did you first feel?
5: Well, it was, as you can imagine, the uh, parents' worst nightmare. Uh, I didn't believe it for a minute. That he wasn't enrolled? Yeah, I didn't believe it. But uh, at the same time, the police were telling me, and I had to believe it. It
2: just didn't make sense. And so in that moment, did you start to think, well, now? Well, sure. Um, Well, now, being suspicious of why he had lied and mm -hmm. Perhaps maybe he could have been involved. Right. Yeah. yeah.
5: As soon as I heard, I confronted him with it, and he said that it had been the result of um, scheduling problems at work, and some people had left, and he thought that he'd be able to, thought he'd be able to um, make up the deficit you know, the next mm-hmm. semester. I, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense, but then what did you tell yourself? Gosh, what do you do? Uh, I knew that the police might be true, might be right. But at the same time, I wasn't going to discard my only son just because they said that he was a suspect. I thought, well, I'll just work with both sides. I'll help Bart as he needs help, and I'll help the
2: police. And if I hear of something, then I'll tell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I maintain the bully... my neutrality on it. At what point, um, you write about this in the book, the book is fascinating, may I say, Murder by Family. At what point were you told that it was dangerous for you because you and Bart went back to the house, as by you described this earlier? And at what point were you told by the police that it was dangerous for you to be in that house, that you were risking your life? Oh, uh, very early mm-hmm. and many, times, many and, times.
1: And it's important to note um, that Bart actually came and, and lived with Kent yes. for seven months after the murders took place.
2: hmm mm-hmm. yeah. Did you believe that he was a suspect? Did you, were you suspicious yourself?
5: Well, if the police tell you that, of course, there's a certain amount of suspicion. Uh, and it changed. From uh, early on, I thought, well, maybe there's a 5% chance that he may have. Maybe he'd gotten involved with some, some bad crowds and he would
2: offer to uh, get, let the house be open for a robbery as a payback attempt or something. Okay, but this is what I couldn't understand while reading this. And it must have been very hard for you to write, too. But what I couldn't understand is he had, the police had already told you two years before isn't that a strange thing to be of told by the is. police that your son well, you, is fighting to you? How hear. about
5: anybody in the room? Yeah. What would, your, what would you think if the police knocked on your door at 1 in the morning and said, I'm sorry, but your college son is on the way to kill you? Yeah. Do you, would you believe that? I mean, I'd never seen any any purpose or any reason to, to suspect.
2: Yeah, I know. But it would make me think, uh, well, big of course. question mark.
5: And that's why I questioned the police so so deeply. and. The official explanation from them was that there was nothing to it. There was an argument between roommates that had been uh, in, increased by alcohol and overheard by somebody what and did misunderstood. You, did you
2: confront Bart about that? Well, did sure. You,
5: what did he say? I'm not a <laughs> Oprah. I'm a good dad, and I was very active in my in my family's life. And yeah, I can of see Of course, I can. This. I of can course, I can uh, confronted him. I mean, yeah. if there's a problem, you want to find out about your kids so that you can step in and help them correct it. Right. And we did everything we could, both Trish and I, to get to the bottom of it. And in this situation, it was a matter of whether you believed the police who made the final decision yeah. that there wasn't
2: anything wrong. Yeah. Kent, I'm not here to try yeah. to attack you or judge you. I know you. that. The thing is, I've read the book, They right. Haven't. Yes. So that's why I'm asking, when you confronted your son yes. about the police questioning, the police coming to you and saying, right. We suspect that your son was on his way to kill you. What did he say?
5: Oh, he said that it, well, he explained it as uh, he and his roommate had been arguing because uh, he and a girlfriend had been watching television loud, and he asked them to turn it down, and they wouldn't. And the program was on the Menendez brothers. And he made the comment, well, they went about it all wrong anyway. If you were going to do it, this is how you'd do it. And that's what she heard. And um, So that's what he told you? That's what he told us
2: The Whitaker's had a tight-knit circle of friends who were devastated by uh, these murders. Lisa Ling sat down with Julie and Matt Barnhill and their daughter, Brittany, who all say they're still trying to piece together what went wrong here.
3: OK, so what was your relationship like with the Whitaker's? Family, friends.
1: Yeah.
3: Just really good family friends. We known each there since second grade, mm-hmm. but. What was the family like? The family.
6: He was an engaged dad doing, you know, guy things with the boys. We took them rafting and trips to the mountains, hiking.
3: That is at prom. That's our senior prom. What was Kevin like?
8: <laughs>
3: he was a great friend. Tricia, She was really funny and welcoming, and she was such an incredible friend. Did you know Bart well?
8: Close your eyes. Close your eyes and OK? Make
1: it work. I
6: don't think any of us knew him well.
1: Did you think you knew him?
6: Uh, He was aloof, and I saw him as insecure and kind of cocky and overcompensated. I think he's a stereotypical sociopath. He may be the most narcissistic person I've ever known personally.
1: So did Kent and Trisha confide in you all about any problems that they may have ever had with the boys?
3: Well, Trisha and I talked a lot.
1: The cops came to the Whitaker's home because they had unhatched a plot that Bart was planning to kill them.
3: Did Trisha tell you about that? She did, and on one hand, she was very troubled about it, and on the other hand, she completely dismissed it and kind of laughed about it. She would say things like, why in the world would they think Bart would do something like that? I know it bothered her, it was on her mind a lot, because she talked about it for a while, and I don't know if she ever truly trusted
2: him. That's interesting. Mm. Did you fully trust him? I did. You did, yeah. Yeah. And that thing that uh, they were describing—that narcissistic, cocky thing, uh, trait—did you sense that in him? Uh, I knew he was um, kind of,
5: kind of self-centered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a lot of myself in him when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I was uh, very cocky and very sure. And.
2: Uh, but narcissistic it, is a pretty strong. It term. is.
5: It is. I wish I was um, schooled enough to say I recognize that.
2: Mm
5: -hmm. Matt's a psychologist. He does this. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, I never was told that by anyone.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. So remember that the night of the attack, the family was celebrating Bart's college graduation, Mm. that he he even gotten a Rolex watch as a gift, but Bart had been living a lie. He hadn't even completed his freshman year. Yeah. So all this time, he had been pulling the wool over your eyes. Yeah, yeah. was nice. Freshman, sophomore, junior, mm-hmm. had you seen grades or had you?
5: He'd submitted grades and he'd falsified them. Mm-hmm. One of the problems is that when a kid gets to be 18 years old, he becomes an adult mm-hmm. and you can't, or in some states it's 21, but you cannot, even
2: though you're paying the bills and you're the parent, you can't get transcripts directly from the, from the school. Okay. So what I'm asking, and as you talk about in, in, in the book, is uh, clues along the way that something was off. Because now as you sit back as a father and you look yeah. back, and the reason to have this conversation with our viewers is not just so that they are voyeur in your life, but that so that they can, you know, look for clues in their own, mm-hmm. you know, lives. So what are the clues that you think you missed?
5: Honestly, there weren't a whole lot of, mm-hmm. of flags. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trisha and I were very
2: hands-on, active uh, parents. And... But one of the things you say on page 85 here is, I wondered if Trisha and I had been too quick to accept excuses yeah. Yeah. and overlook things. It was becoming clear that my son had a side that none of our, fa- our family had seen, and I was furious, hurt, and worried about how far the deception had gone.
5: Right. Yeah. And that's very true. Uh, that concern came, obviously, after the shootings and after the police told me that he was not enrolled and that uh, they feared for my life living with him. Mm-hmm. But at the time, uh, I suppose if there had been someone living with us that didn't wasn't part of the family, they could see that uh, there might be something here or there. But he was a good
2: kid. I mean, he and I spent a lot of time together. So even after you realized that he had lied and was not even a, uh-huh. was still a freshman and wasn't graduating, and th- your your wife and other son have been shot, and even after you realized that, you still were not suspicious enough um, or believing that he could have done this, committed this crime? I didn't believe my son would have done that, no. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been just over a year since Kit Whitaker's son Bart was sentenced to death for masterminding the murders of his own family. Bart now lives on death row in a Texas prison and has never spoken publicly until now. Lisa Ling was there talking to him.
1: I've covered many stories in prisons and jails around the world, but I've never interviewed anyone on death row before. I have to say that I have been eagerly and nervously anticipating this interview with Bart Whitaker because I've interviewed so many people about him and he's been described as a master manipulator, as a pathological liar, someone who led a double life. So I can't help but wonder who we're going to be getting when we interview him. Hi. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I'm Lisa. I was only granted an hour with Bart, so I started with the question on everyone's mind. Why did you do what you did? I mean, why did you want to kill your family?
8: I can go back and tell you why I felt so inadequate and why I felt that my parents didn't love me. And uh, I recognize so many of the errors now. There's a difference between an excuse and a reason, and I don't try to make excuses for what I did. I, I try to. You can't, you can't make an excuse for this. But yeah, there were things that happened that were reasons for it. From what
1: we hear from friends of the family and so on, you seem like you had very loving parents who who really gave you a lot. Is there something that, that <sighs> we just don't know?
8: Well, even from a very young age, I believe that what my parents loved was an idealized version of me. And that I kept telling myself if I worked really hard, and I succeeded, that I would be that person. But I knew in my heart that I wasn't that person. And I felt like if they knew who I really was, that affection would dry up. And you, know, you can only go through that for so long before you start to bear a grudge against the people you think have set that high standard. Did
1: you love your family? Yeah. Did you love your brother Kevin?
8: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was envious. Uh, he had so many of the qualities that I tried so hard for over the years. You know, people just loved him, always.
1: So you loved them, but you also hated them at the same time.
8: Yeah. yeah we, we humans are kind of messy like that sometimes.
1: At what point in your life did you realize that you wanted to kill your father, your mother, and Kevin?
8: I don't think my dissatisfaction turned to outright hatred until high school. Um, there was a point in there, I guess, sophomore year, where I was just so tired of being me. I was tired of feeling like a failure all the time, and I started to blame them for the way I felt. Um, and it wasn't something that I just decided one day, hey, I want to kill my parents. Um, and it was just a, something to try to ease the pressure a little bit. Um, I wanted my life to be different, and however my thought process got there, I blame them for me. I blame them for me being in existence. I I wanted revenge for being alive.
2: How how does it make you feel hearing your son say you wanted revenge for being alive?
5: It hurts, but then I I would like to know why, Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't know who you are and you don't
2: Like who you are, you're a danger to yourself and to other people. What do you want to say, Lisa?
1: Well, I mean, I had no frame of reference because I had never met Bart before this interview. But he he seemed to be very candid, and my sense is that he still doesn't know who he is. And I think that he, for years, he was deceiving everyone, even the people closest to him. He started living this lie, and he no longer could make a distinction between what was a lie and what was reality.
2: Well, he says in the book here on page 136, uh, he wrote a letter to you saying, I wish I'd been different. I wish I could have made you proud. I wish I'd done other things other than take all the time. I say I love you, but what I really feel is mainly respect for the man you are. I love Mom and Kevin, but I also felt a lot of hatred, and I have no idea why. I think I really don't know what anything feels like. Mm I'm a bad copy, a ripple reflection of what a human being should be. I have all the external characteristics of being a man, but under the skin I cannot identify anything. That's That's tragic, isn't it? Yes, it is tragic. That's horrible. It is tragic. Do
1: you feel like you know him yet?
5: I think he's changed, Uh, but I don't know that he has. I can't truly read his heart. I thought I'd read his heart for all these years. but I think I know him
2: much better now than I did before what makes because you he's... Think, what makes you think he's changed and that he's not just manipulating you? Could be. Mm-hmm. He's good at it. He's mm-hmm. proven he has. Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: but my love for him and my forgiveness for him doesn't... isn't based on him changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's between him and God and himself. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, that's I powerful, just, actually.
5: Yeah.
2: It's really powerful because you... your forgiveness is based upon what you're doing to release yourself from the I, revenge and the hatred. I, I, well, we have the Barnhills. What do you What do you want to say, uh, Julie and Matt? They are uh, joining us from their home in Texas. Their daughter Brittany uh, joins us from college in Virginia. Julie and Matt, does it surprise you that uh, Kent has been able to forgive Bart?
6: No, I'm not surprised. Uh, Kent. I mean, Kent's a man of faith, and uh, every day he makes decisions uh, where he's trying to honor God. So. The last thing I am is surprised that he wants to be a guy who's got forgiveness in his heart. I mean, that's just the man I know in him. You know him
2: because you're his pastor, right? Yeah. Well, we were good friends before I was
6: his pastor. And I am also his pastor as well, so.
2: Yeah. um, So when we heard you earlier say that uh, what you saw in him was in Bart was that he was a sociopath and a narcissist. Julie, you'd seen that also, correct?
3: Yes, ma'am. I sure have.
2: Yeah. And so,
6: did we came you to
2: that conclusion after
6: the shootings? We didn't. I, I didn't believe he was a sociopath prior to that, but I visited him in jail, and the way he led me through just our talks in jail, uh, the way he continued to lie uh, after the shootings, the, the seven months before he ran off to Mexico.
2: When when Tricia would would talk to you about uh, Bart and this whole incident, did she sense some of this? Because I know all you know, mothers and family members watching, you want to know, was there something you felt or sensed? I know you said earlier that you believe that she didn't trust him fully.
3: I do believe that. I I do believe that there was a part of her that was still cautious about him. Even the week before he was graduating, she kept saying, she said to me on Sunday morning at church, she said, I just can't believe he's gonna graduate. I can't believe this is really gonna happen to him. I just feel like the bottom's gonna fall out any minute. Mm-hmm. And I do think sometimes a mother's heart feels when something's just not quite right. Yeah. At the same time, she wanted to believe so desperately in her child that she loves so very much.
2: Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. Did you ever have any of those feelings, Kent?
5: It's hard. Here I am on national television, and I'm. Yes, I have. You see things, but you don't believe them. You there's so many other positive things that happen that convince you that you want to believe your kids. Uh, uh, and I do know that. It's probably wrong, but a lot of times I think Trisha told her girlfriend stuff that she didn't tell me. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you, um, do you feel sorry for what you did?
8: Sorry is just a word. It doesn't even come close to what I feel. Uh, I would do anything to change it, but I, I, you know, I, I can't. So,
1: um, Why should we believe what you're saying? I mean, so much of your life has frankly been a lie.
8: That's ultimately a decision that you have to make. I mean, I, I can only tell you what I'm feeling inside. And you can, just like everybody, choose to believe that or not. Did it surprise you when your
1: father forgave you?
8: Yeah. I don't mean to say that I, don't, I didn't think he was capable of it. But when somebody does something that amazing, yeah, it's always a little surprising.
1: Do you think you deserve that forgiveness?
8: Mm. It's very easy for me to forgive other people. It's incredibly difficult for me to forgive myself, so...
1: Do you have any idea of what your last words will be?
8: I know that there's some things that I'll talk about to my dad during our last visit, but I don't want anyone there at my execution. That's an ugly thing to have to see, and I, uh, I wouldn't want them to carry that for the rest
2: of their lives. So, would you want to be there? Of course I'll be there. Mm -hmm. I'll be there. Mm -hmm. And Matt, you will probably be saying the last words, right? Yeah. So, Lisa, did you believe him? I'm looking at the audience. The audience isn't buying it. I can tell you that right now.
1: It's a hard question.
2: I mean, especially when he says, "I could." It's easy for me to forgive other people, but hard to forgive myself. You didn't forgive your own mother for bringing you into the world. You didn't forgive your brother, who loved and adored you. So what is he talking about? It's easy for me to forgive No, You know, it's a,
1: it's a hard question for me to answer because he, he was very convincing and he seemed, um, in that hour-long interview, very remorseful. But I, I sincerely had to keep checking myself knowing that I don't know that there has been a single person who has been able to really know who the real Bart is. Mm-hmm. So. Was he remorseful? He seemed so, but whether, whether he is, in fact, is only he knows. Right.
2: Well, we're, we're joined now by psychiatrist Dr. Ned Halliwell, mm-hmm. who's on Skype, joining us from his office in New York. Uh, what is your definition of sociopath?
7: Well, first of all, just let me say my heart really goes out to Kent. Uh, a sociopath is, is someone who doesn't have a conscience. It's a chilling kind of condition, but uh, where, where you're, you're simply not constrained by the usual feelings of love, empathy, shame, fear, guilt, that most of us are, are constrained by. And when you remove a conscience, uh, the only thing in your way is don't get caught. And, and you're just sort of looking for stimulation, you're looking for excitement, you're looking for uh, some way of feeling alive, because you don't have these, these loving connections. And if you throw in narcissism, which loosely defined as sort of the inability to love or receive love, yeah. then that's a tremendously dangerous combination. I should also add, it's, it's, it's no one's fault, you know, uh, these things happen and, and you're not born with it, you, you, you grow into it. But it, I think what probably happened with part is he, he didn't receive the love he was given in such a way as to build a conscience and to build the internal apparatus he needed uh, to guide him and, and sustain him. Instead, he felt empty and then gradually angry uh, and, and, and just in search of some grand drama that could make him feel alive. And, and it reached, obviously, these terribly tragic proportions. Well, you've written the
2: book Dare to Forgive. Uh, and as I said earlier, uh, Kent was in the hospital and made a decision that he was going to forgive even when he didn't know who the killer was, obviously, when he thought the killer was some stranger and and not in his own family. Do you have to be a special kind of person or have a special kind of faith to have that kind of forgiveness?
7: Well, I think you do, but it doesn't have to be a faith in, in God or in any organized religion, you, you have to sort of have a faith in some belief system, a faith uh, uh, that, uh, that there is a goodness that you, that you want to appeal to, because you, you basically have to reach up out of the, the kind of morass of primitive feelings. When something awful like this happens, your natural feeling is to take revenge. Yeah. Your natural feeling is to feel rage and anger, and, and you want to attack and get even, and, and you have to have some belief system that you can reach up to and say, no, I'm not going to go there. I don't want my pain to turn into more pain. I want my pain to turn into something better. And that belief system, uh, you know, maybe just a feeling, a belief in goodness, a belief in tomorrow, a belief in, you know, we can create a better world. And and, and, and so, but, but yes, you have to have that. And I should also add forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. This is something that's good for Kent. Uh, and, and uh, as, as well as for Bart. There's a quote
2: that, uh, that I, I read and, and, and really loved that s- speaks to the idea that forgiveness isn't something that you do because you are condoning the person, what someone has done or, for, or forgetting about it, nor does it mean uh, uh, relieving the person of responsibility, but it sim- simply means letting go of the hate. So exactly. that's what we're talking about when we say forgive.
7: Exactly. It it is not at all that you condone what happened. It is not at all that you're saying, turn the other cheek, do it again, that sort of thing. It's you're saying, I don't want to live with this poison of chronic rage and resentment. You you have to be able to get angry. You know, getting angry is like a sneeze. It clears the system. Which I was going to ask you, Kent, did you get angry? Sure,
5: I did. I mean, this person has stolen my entire life.
2: Yeah. I loved where you said in the book you'd been with your wife for 28 years and been faithful to her. Yes, I have. For 28 years. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved my wife. I never expected to uh, grow old with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the doctor's right. You really do have to make that decision. Uh, we all have the choice of whether we're going to forgive or not. Yeah. And for me, uh, I was a man of faith. And I know that God calls us to forgive. And while that was the hardest thing, I think I, I knew I couldn't do it without his help. But he calls us to forgive, and I wanted to be faithful in that even though I knew it would be very, very difficult, and that he was going to have to do all the heavy lifting, yeah. but I also knew that we have to we have to from the psychologist's point of view, you have to forgive in order to heal Move and forward. I wanted to heal so bad i wanted to uh,
2: I wanted a resumption of my life. And that is the real lesson for anybody who's watching today who hadn't forgiven your mm-hmm. sister-in-law because she didn't. Come to your party. <laughs> <laughs> that is the real lesson is because you you carry the poison with you isn't that true yeah isn't that true Ned? absolutely absolutely that, because yeah. the cost the of not for forgiving yourself. is to the person who's holding on to whatever it is right
7: it's, exactly
2: yeah mm-hmm. and so that's why you let go of it so that you can free yourself
7: right. exactly all right but I also have to add it's so impressive what Kent has done he continues to love his son and It's a gift he gives to himself, you know, that that he will see his son off to his death, Mm -hmm. loving him rather than hating him. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's so much better. And it takes such courage on his part and conviction. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I do believe that to an extent, Bart was operating on autopilot. And even though this plan had been in motion for a long time, I don't know that he thought about what would happen if it actually
2: happened and the consequences. I, don't know I, that... I think what he says here on page 136 is really accurate. That I'm a bad copy, a rippled reflection of what a human being should be. That he's trying to be human. He's trying to feel. He's to trying feel. to be a man. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I have all the external characteristics of being a man, but under the skin, I can't identify anything. And as you were saying earlier, if you if you've lost your basically is what the doctor is saying. He'd lost his way. He's lost his way. you lost your way, you don't know who you are, you don't have any real feelings or compassion for yourself or other people, then that's what you have. That's what being a sociopath is. But I agree that remarkable what Kent was able to do, and one of the reasons why I was interested in telling this story on the air is not just for us to be voyeurs, but for each person who's listening today to look in your life and ask, Who do you need to forgive? Mm -hmm. Who do you need to forgive? What kind of baggage are you carrying? What toxin, poison are you constantly refeeding yourself because you haven't forgiven? Because to be able to see this man do this for his son, who he knows killed his beloved son and wife, means that it is possible. That's what your being here today says to me, that forgiveness is possible. Right? Right, Dr. Annette?
7: Absolutely. And yeah. it's, my goodness, if he can do that, uh, uh, you can forgive your sister-in-law or the person who cuts you off in mm-hmm. traffic. Mm-hmm.
2: You certainly can, yeah. yeah.
5: But you know, the wonderful thing is, if you do take that choice, yeah. you do choose to forgive, uh, changes come in you. And that's when you're really able to start healing. Yeah. And I can tell you, I would never be where I am now if I had not made that choice in the hospital that night. In terms of healing. In terms of healing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and It whether... helped you even to get over the grieving, did it not? Grieving's a hard thing. But, you know, I'd hate to waste all that pain ending up on the other end after having gone through the grieving with still that bitterness of spirit. Yes. I wanted to get through that hard time and know that there's still life out there. Yeah. And I'm excited about it.
2: I would have to agree with Dr. Hollowell that Kent has been the example of what, uh, you know, putting love into action. So thank you for showing us what that thank looks you. like. Thank his you. book is called Murder by Family. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Thanks also to uh, psychiatrist Dr. Ned Halliwell. And his book is called Dare to Forgive. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lisa Ling. Thank you, Barnhills. And also, Brittany, who we didn't get to, who was sitting there in Virginia waiting to go on. Hi, Brittany. Hi. Hi. Thank you for your time, but we just ran out of time. Thank you. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show,
0: The Podcast. And I thank you for listening.